I have a friend who is a missionary in Bangladesh. He is there with his wife and their very small son. And every month he sends out a newsletter, just kind of keeping everybody informed as to what's going on and how the mission is going. And in his December newsletter, he mentioned that two people in his community went, as he wrote it, quote, under the water, end of quote. And as a result, they were beginning to face some persecution. Now, under the water doesn't mean that they took a bath or that they went swimming or something like that. As you could, well, I guess it means they were baptized. He is in a predominantly Muslim community. And so to take this step of getting baptized into the Christian faith is taking a big step. It's a very radical event. Now, I think baptism is a very radical event. We're going to talk about today a little bit about Christ's baptism and then your baptism. And I want to try to underscore once again just how radical of an event that this should be in our lives. Let's first bow our hearts once more and go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious God, we do thank you for this opportunity of worship, this time to come together, for the reading of your word, for the singing of these songs, for the reassuring music that we've heard. God, I pray that you would blend all of them together to put us in a teachable place. Speak to us, we ask, Lord. Teach us the things that you want us to know. We wait upon you. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. When I get the dates that I'm going to be here, I send an email to Susan. Susan always responds and sends me the, the, the scripture readings because uh, a while ago I decided, well, I'm just going to preach from the lectionary. You read these passages every Sunday. Why not just preach from them? So a couple of weeks ago or months ago, she sent me the readings for today and I looked at it and I sent her email back. I wasn't questioning Susan, but I said, today's reading is really familiar. Matter of fact, we read this one back in the second uh, Sunday of Advent, and she reassured me that no, that wasn't a mistake, and she pointed out it's the same passage, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through, I think it was 8 then, but it adds a few more verses, and indeed she's correct. So if that sounded familiar to you today from reading from the, uh, Mark chapter 1, it's because we just a few weeks ago read from the same passage, adding just a few verses which is the baptism of Jesus. Now, the baptism of Jesus, from a theological standpoint, is kind of an enigma. I mean, it's a little hard to wrap your minds around. Uh, Bible scholars, Bible teachers, pastors have all kind of struggled with talking about the baptism of Jesus. Now, if you don't know why, let me kind of just set the stage a little bit. Picture in your mind what I kind of picture Here's this radical John. He's standing waist deep in the murky Jordan River preaching. And on the banks of the river, the people from all around have gathered and he's telling them about their sin. He's exposing their sins, perhaps even naming the things that he knows that his audience is involved in. And they're listening to him and feeling the conviction of that. And they ask him, well, what can we do about this? And John will come on down, come down to the water and get baptized. Confess your sins, tell the world what you've done, tell God your sins, get baptized, go under the water, a form of cleansing and come up renewed. 
You can kind of picture a line forms from the local community down off the banks and into the river. And one by one, John, this wild man, is baptizing them in the Jordan River. And there, somewhere in the middle of that line, is Jesus of Nazareth, Yahweh, our God. Our God has come down for baptism. And that's why it's kind of odd. Why is he getting baptized? Why would Jesus be undergoing John's baptism, which is a baptism of repentance? It kind of doesn't make sense from a theological standpoint. He has no sins to confess. The people in front of him, the people behind him in this line, will confess their sins. They'll admit they're sinners. They'll be baptized as a way of showing forth that they're repenting, they're turning around. And in the middle of this line stands Jesus, our God. God hasn't sinned. He's pure and holy and righteous. There's no need for him to confess. So do you see the dilemma we have here in trying to understand the baptism of Jesus? Why is he doing it? Why is he undergoing this baptism? Well, if you've wondered that, you're not alone because John the Baptist wondered the same thing. It's in Matthew's gospel that we get a glimpse of this conversation. In Matthew chapter 3, as Jesus appears to John for baptism, John seems rather startled. And he said, no, it's, it's you that should be baptizing me. I mean, I'm not fit to unloose your sandals. Uh, I can't baptize God. What are you coming to me to, for baptism? It should be the other way around. And, and I can kind of understand his argument. I can understand the way he must feel. What, what are you doing? In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus responds to John. Although I have to admit it's not abundantly clear what he means. He says, oh, permit it. For this fulfills all, all righteousness. What does that mean? I mean, that doesn't clear it up much for me. The struggle is still on. What does that mean? Why is Jesus submitting to John's baptism? Now, like I said, scholars and minds much greater than mine have wrestled with this, and some have come to different conclusions, and they don't all agree on what this baptism is. I know that I can't settle this for you, but I, I have a certain way of at least making it work in my mind. You know, back in the 90s, I worked for a firm in Pittsburgh, and we did service work for insurance companies, and I had a supervisor at the time. He was a retired city detective. He was now supervisor at this firm, and he was a good guy, and everyone respected him. And one of the reasons why everyone respected this man is because when he gave out assignments to us, uh, he, he gave them out not from some polished oak desk and saying, here, go do this work, but he gave out assignments that he himself was not afraid to take. As a matter of fact, he sometimes took these assignments, especially if they were hard ones. Sometimes we had to go to some sections of the city which were not all that safe or a good place to be. And yet, those are the assignments sometimes that he took himself. In other words, he was the kind of supervisor who actually did the work himself. He wasn't afraid to get down and dirty and do the work himself. And he wasn't just giving us an assignment that he thought was too far beneath him. He led not just by his authority, 
but he led by example. And that's sort of somehow how I see the baptism of Jesus, giving us an example. Of course, he doesn't have to confess his sins. He doesn't have to say why he's doing this. He doesn't have to, he doesn't even have to submit to this, it seems like. And yet he does it, I believe, to show us that if he is going to do this, then we should as well. You see, I don't think an argument can be sustained by anyone saying, well, I want to follow Jesus, but I'm not going to get baptized. That's messy. That's just not for me. Well, again, I don't think that argument can be made because here is our leader, the one that we're following, and he submits to it. And since we are certainly no greater than him, shouldn't we as well? So Jesus, I believe, becomes a leader in which we can follow, who leads not just by his authority over us, but by his example for us. He submits to the same things that we submit to, and therefore we should follow him. And so he convinces John, and John takes him in the water. He comes open, and in Mark's gospel, it's unique. The Greek word for the heavens opened, the word there seems to imply that the heavens were torn apart. There was this rendering of the sky, and a voice boomed, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. It was a radical event there. In the murky Jordan River, the murky waters of it, a wild man baptizing Jesus, and his ministry is launched. From this point, he goes into the wilderness, he fasts, he prepares himself, and then he gives himself in ministry and ultimately in his death. And it gets all, gets all kicked off by his baptism. Now, as I was looking over the passage today from Mark chapter 1 and kind of thinking, well, where do I go with this? What are we going to talk about? I knew that baptism was looming great in this passage, and it seemed like something that we need to talk about a little bit, but it's kind of hard in some ways. Baptism is a very divisive topic. It divides a lot of Christians. We don't all agree on methods. There are some who insist that you baptize by dipping forward. Some say, no, you go backwards. Some don't dip at all. Some sprinkle, and some say, we pour. And so there are all different kinds of methods employed by those who administer baptisms. Not just methods, but, but churches disagree over who is the likely or who is the proper candidate for baptism. Some insist that only those who confess their faith should be baptized and other baptized infants and children. And so we don't all agree. And I also know that this can be a very divisive subject. And I'm a guest here. I'm not your pastor. And I'm, I'm certainly not ordained by the UCC church. And so I can't come in here, and, I, and I'm not going to come in here and, and disrupt anything. But I can still talk about it, I think, and give you some thoughts on baptism. But have you ever wondered, what is baptism? Have you ever wondered what it is and what does it do, if anything, in a believer's life? What is baptism? Well, entire books have been written on this topic, and so I think it would be impossible for me to settle the matter in a 20-minute sermon, of which I've already wasted 10. And it's just very difficult to, to do that. 
So I can just kind of give you just a, a brief overview. And we start with John himself, John the Baptist, because John had something to say about it. John said, I baptize with water, but one is coming, mightier than I, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so right away we see a difference between the baptism of John and the baptism of Christ or the baptism in the New Testament church. John said, I do it with water, but he is doing it in the Spirit. Jesus echoed these same words in Acts chapter 1 as he told his disciples. He said, John indeed did baptize with water, but not many days from now you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Echoing exactly what John had said. John did this baptism by water. I am going to do it in the Spirit. And then there's something interesting as the church progresses. As you watch the New Testament church in the book of Acts, every time there's a baptism, water is almost obviously not mentioned. Although I, I think it's part of it. I suspect that water had a, a part of the baptism. But it's obvious to see that it's more than just water because we read, and they were baptized into Jesus, or baptized into Jesus' name. Now see, John baptized into water. But as the church began to grow under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, we see it change, a subtle. The object of the preposition into, John baptized into water changes, and now it's being baptized into the name of Jesus. Slight difference, but an important one. Our reading today from the book of Acts, I was so excited to see that Acts 19 was the selected reading because it's one of my favorite topics when it comes to baptism. Land read it for you from Acts 19. It's the story of Paul. He's going to the area of Ephesus, and there he encounters a dozen people who were believers. Now, when it says that they were believers, I take that to mean that these 12, I think they were mentioned as men, these 12 men had put their faith in Jesus Christ. They were followers of Jesus, but it's apparent that they don't know much yet. How could they? The church was still growing. The New Testament hadn't even been written yet. They have no scriptures really to follow. And so it would be kind of tricky to understand what Christianity meant. Well, Paul encounters these 12 men in Acts chapter 19. And Paul begins in 19 by asking them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit yet? Now, I always thought that's an intriguing question because it suggests to me, at least, that Paul must have seen something different about these 12 men. He looks at their lives, he encounters them, he finds out they're believers, but it's almost as if he's scratching his head thinking something different about these people. And he said, you're, you're believers, but have you received the Holy Spirit now, what it is about their lives, I don't know. Luke, as he writes the book of Acts, doesn't mention it to us. And so I don't know what Paul apparently sees. Perhaps there was a lack of power in their lives. A power over sin or a power to live a life pleasing to God. I, I don't know. But Paul said, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they said, uh, we've not so much as even heard of the Holy Spirit. Paul's like, whoa, time, time out here. How are you baptized? You see, he goes right to their baptism. H how are you baptized? Because 
to Paul, this is, this is crazy. What do you mean you haven't received or you haven't heard of the Holy Spirit? Then how are you even baptized? And they said, well, we've been baptized in the John's baptism. And then it's almost as if Paul, oh, I understand now. I understand. You were baptized into water for the remission of sins or for, or, or for the repenting of sins. Now I get it. It's as if Paul says, you were baptized with John's baptism, but the baptism of the church is something different. Yes, I suspect that water's used, although it's not even mentioned in Acts 19, but we read that Paul baptized them into Jesus. It's a radical event of being baptized into Jesus, and that changed their lives. The word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which means to immerse. As a matter of fact, scholars tell us that there are some ancient recipes that they found written in Greek for how to make tea. You take this tea bag and you baptize it. That's the word that they use. You put it, you baptize it into the water. It means to immerse it, to, to totally soak it uh, up in, in the water. As we come to the New Testament and we see the word baptized, I believe it means the same thing. To be immersed into Jesus Christ. To be immersed fully into Jesus Christ. And that is a radical event. And that, I believe, is what baptism is. Our churches sometimes can be almost social events of people just gathering to shake hands and to greet one another. But what they should be, I believe, is a group of believers who have been immersed into Jesus Christ and live lives immersed in Jesus Christ. Who live lives that have been so taken by him that they become changed. In Acts chapter 19, immediately these men, as they were baptized into Jesus Christ, their lives were changed. I think baptism stands as a good indicator of that changed life. Now, I'm going to suggest to you that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have not received baptism, I would urge you to consider it. If that's strong enough. Jesus submitted to it. I can't imagine anyone, not anyone who wants to be a follower of his, not submitting to baptism. To me, it stands as a mark. It's not the water. The water doesn't do anything magic. I have baptized in ponds. I've baptized in tanks. I've done different forms of baptisms already. And the water isn't magic. It doesn't do anything but get the person wet. But it stands for something. That this person going into the water is coming up brand new. This person has now committed themselves to following Jesus. The old is washed away. And they are immersed in Jesus Christ. And their baptism stands as a reminder of that. That's why I kind of like to baptize in ponds, because usually the water's pretty cold and you won't for, soon forget it. You know? And we shouldn't forget our baptism because that's the changing moment, I believe, in our lives. 
and it was the moment that launched Jesus Christ. It was the event that launched the church. Acts chapter 2, Paul preached, excuse me, Peter preached, and the people were, were cut to the heart, and they said, well, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized. Now's your moment to be baptized into Jesus Christ and begin to walk a changed and powerful life. And that's what I believe that baptism is. That's what it should be for the church, to mark a changed life. Will you pray with me? Father God, we do thank you for who you are. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done and are doing in our lives. And I thank you for our baptism, for the water, Lord, which represents the spirit in our lives, washing us clean of all that is filthy and renewing us for life with you. We pray this in Christ's name for his sake. Amen.